Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. times, a 
course of a marriage, it's always good to remember what brought you together. It's always good. Go back and reflect. What, what first attracted me to this person? Why are we together in the first place? Sometimes you see people, couples, and we all do it. You see couples and they're together and you're like, how did they end up together? You know, how did that happen? Um, and, and in fact, Jenny and I, we met in Louisville, Kentucky. We were in seminary and there was a group of Asian uh, graduate students that we spent a lot of time with ministering to. And, um, you know, that was some years ago. And Jenny and I were both in the best shape for our lives. And we spent a lot of time with these Asian students, uh, serving them. And uh, I began to see her heart and how she loved people. And she really, she really loved pointing people to Jesus. And we spent a lot of time doing that, ministering these Asians. But we also spent a lot of time running. We run about 30 miles a week. We ran together at Monday Friday in the mornings. So we had a lot of time together, like I said, in the best shape of our lives. And so I was really attracted to Jamie physically. But also I was attracted to her heart and her character and how she loved people and loved Jesus. And I knew she would be a great wife and she would be a great mom. Now for Jamie, it was just pure physical attraction. She didn't care much about my, my character or my heart. It was all just physical. Uh, but it is it's good to think about, hey, what brought us together? Why, how did we end up together? What, what was this part? What was the attraction? How did we end up together? I think in marriage that's good and that's true. We need to do that. In our relationship with Jesus, it's also good to remember what we believed about Jesus when we first repented. When we came to know Jesus, what, were, what was our beliefs? What was our thoughts? What was our attitude towards Him? In our text this morning, we're going to see two things. The first thing is that our conduct or our life must conform to the doctrine we believe in the beginning of our walk with Christ. This will produce growth and strength and thanksgiving. The second thing we're learning from our text is that we should walk observantly because deceptive people will try to persuade us to abandon the gospel. Now, for those of you that are busy with us, we've been walking through the book of Colossians, and Paul, who is uh, in Rome in prison, he's writing to encourage this group of believers he's never seen because he heard from Epaphras that they have this, these people and, and these believers, they have been born again. But there were some people who were threatening their spiritual well-being by suggesting that Christ was not sufficient. So Paul, he pushes Jesus to the front of the stage, so to speak, and he reminds them that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He created all things. He sustains all things. He's the aim and goal of all things. Jesus is the head of the body, Paul tells us, the church. And he earned that position because he is the firstborn from among the dead which means he's the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. All the fullness of the Father dwells in Jesus, and it is in him and through him that these believers are reconciled to the Father. He's the treasure. He's all they should want, all they should desire. And last week in chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, we saw, following the example of Paul, that we should 
As believers, we should struggle for one another in prayer. And we should walk together in love so that we can grow in our understanding of Jesus. Now let's look at these first verses here, verse 6. And we're going to see, firstly, that our conduct must conform to the doctrines we believe in the beginning of our walk with Christ. Think about when you first believed. How did you, what was your attitude? And that should be our attitude now. If that's the case, and there's going to be growth in our spiritual life, there's going to be strength, and there's going to be thanksgiving. And here, in verse 6, we see the first command given in the letter. And Paul does that a lot. He gives a lot of uh, content that's doctrinal in nature, and then he starts telling people what to do. You see that in Ephesians. Chapter 1 through 3, a lot of doctrine. He says, a lot of doctrine. Then he starts telling them, now you need to do this, don't do this, and do this. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, you see the same thing. Paul teaches a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology. And in chapter 12, also he starts telling them what they should do. And that's the case here. This is the first time that these Colossian believers have been told to do something. All right, in verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and notice the just as, it signifies that there had been a reception, right? a point in time where this relationship with Christ began. And Paul has already pointed that out in chapter 1, verse 2. He called them holy and faithful. They had faith, they had love for each other, and they had a hope in the, the future promises of God. He says in verse 6 of chapter 1 that the gospel was bearing fruit in them. So Paul affirms them. They're a believer. They have received Christ Jesus as Lord. I ask you, have you received Christ as Lord? Do you know Jesus? Just as they received Christ, in the same way they should continue to walk in Him. They should reflect on the way they received Christ. How did they receive Him? Well, think about it. If I ask you, tell me your story. Tell me your testimony. That's what you would tell me about. How you came to know Jesus. What you were thinking. What your emotions were. What you believed in at that moment. Just as you received Him, then so live with that same reverence, and that same understanding, and that same appreciation as you had of and for Him. Paul is telling these believers... Remember what it was like when you became a believer. Remember what you were believing. Continue to believe those same things. That how you approach God with such humility. And we all have different stories. If we, we all went around, and all of us that are believers, we told our stories. We would all have different experiences, but we would have a lot of common things as well. And when we approach God for that first time in humility, we want to repent of our sin. There's a, there's a sense of humility. There's a sense of, of, of trust. There's a sense of, 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 abandon, of self-abandonment for each and every one of us. And when we told our stories, there'd be a lot of different stories told, but there'd be one story told, right? And our attitudes are all the same when we come to Christ. It's with, it's with humility, right? It's with assurance that God will do as He says He'll do. When you came to the Lord, you came trusting Him to save you, not because of anything you've done. Because you were at the end of yourself, right? We were poor in spirit, all of us. The Bible says that we were, we're poor in spirit, which means we realize that we're spiritually bankrupt. And that's the way we come to Christ. It's the only way you can come to Christ. Well, how do you know everybody's got a, the same story to some degree? Because that's how you have to come to Christ, right? You come to Him poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, knowing that. 
Not offering up anything but our very lives. God, here I am. Take me, a sinner. Right? And Paul says that they, these, these believers, they're, they're trying to must conform to the doctrines they believed in the beginning. Paul continues by telling the Colossians what a walk with Christ would look like. Look at verse 7. Paul described their rock, their, their walk with Christ. Notice he says rooted or having been rooted. And he builds on that beginning imagery. Rooted refers to their foundation, the beginnings. It's a past participle, right? Their faith has been rooted. It has taken place never to occur again, nor can it be approved upon. This has happened. As a believer grows, he can have greater knowledge, wisdom, understanding, enlightenment, so to speak, only so far as it builds upon the basic fundamental truths of the gospel. But the believer does grow, doesn't he? Look what it, look what it says. Rooted and built up in him. We build upon that foundation, those foundational truths of the gospel, those things that we, elementary truths that we believe in, and we build upon that. There should be building, there should be progress in our walk. In fact, these two are participles. They're not commands saying, oh, you should do this. No, it's, it's what's happening. This is happening in the Colossians' lives, and in fact, it'll happen in ours as well. See, sanctification is going to happen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. Until completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. See, God's going to continue to work out. I said, He's going to continue to grow us and grow us, grow us, and make us like Himself. We have the foundational truth, the foundation of Jesus is my life. He's my hope. He's my all. I have nothing to offer. I just have to. I just trust Him. That's the foundation. Everything else grows upon that. Look what it says. It says strengthening. In the faith, this building, it, it, just, it just continues. There's a building going up here. It just, that imagery continues. The Colossians, they're, they're going to grow in strength. And that's what we should do as well. Our foundation is laid. We're trusting Jesus and not trusting in ourselves. And we're building upon that. And as maturing believers, we all want to learn new insights about the Word. For me, lately, I want to, I'm just trying to... Uh, get a better understanding of the connection between the two covenants. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The Old Covenant and I'm really trying to understand that better, how they relate. Is there more to the Bible than the Gospel? Yes, there is. But, but let, me, let me mention something to you. I remember in seminary, when Jan Howard in seminary, there were uh, people were so intrigued by the newest and latest thoughts of philosophy and theology. But if we ever get so intellectual or spiritual that we think the gospel is too elementary, or that we've moved on to bigger and better truths, to be honest with you, we've become corrupted and non-believing. You always come back to the gospel, those basic tenets of the faith, the, the gospel. We come naked before the Lord, needing Him for our very existence. That should be our attitude. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, we have no life. He is our everything. He is our salvation. Can you grow beyond the rich, life-changing truths found in the gospel? Can we reach such a maturity that we exhaust the riches of the incarnation, the atonement, and justification? I don't think so. It's like eating at grandma's house. Some of your grandmothers, maybe your grandmas can't cook. Uh, 
years later, I'd say, yeah, my, my grandmother was a horrible cook. I just can't relate to that. You know what I mean? You're waving around going, that's not true of me. Um, but it's like going to grandma's house. You sit down and you eat, and you just kind of like you just braise. You got all this delicious food, and you just keep eating. You think, you know what? I can never stop. It's so good. And you just eat, eat, eat. And then you think you're finished, and you're so stuffed, right? It's not just like you're satisfied and full, but you're like, you're just stuffed. And then you bring that more, right? So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, keep eating, keep eating, keep growing, keep growing. See, that's the, that's the, the thing. He wants us to grow. The Lord wants to grow into Christ's likeness. And then Paul, he continues to conclude this thought of how we should walk or how a walk with Christ looks like. He says, overflowing with thankfulness. See, when one walks with the Lord, he's grateful. When someone's right with the Lord, they're grateful. Think about it. Think about times when you walk in the Spirit. Because every time you can say in your life that you've walked in the Spirit, you've had a grateful heart. Paul is writing to a group of people, some of which they're vulnerable to false teachers. Remember what's going on? There's people in this church who are stirred up trouble and are saying in Christ, this faith in Christ is not enough. You need all these other things. You need some spiritual experience, right? You need to worship some angels. You need to, you need to neglect your body. You need to not eat certain things. Christ is not sufficient, they were saying. But these people, they're vulnerable false teachers. And I'll point out, those who do not have a thankful attitude or a thankful heart are most susceptible to false teaching. Because what happens is, those who do not have a grateful heart, they don't have their teacher on the, on the file. Let me think about it. We don't have a grateful heart, who's your attention focused upon? Yourself, right? Yeah. You have a thankful heart? How's your heart? Are you thankful? But see, when we are thankful, we take our eyes off ourselves and we put them on Him. That's why when we pray, we should always do thanks. It puts our minds and our hearts to right. Even when we like pray together, we have Wednesday night Bible study, but every, every Wednesday we have a, a prayer time as well. And it's always, it always does our heart good to have a time of thanksgiving. See, gratitude implies dependence. Being dependent on Him. Right? Coming back to like it was when we first repented. When we first became a believer, what was our attitude? I need you. Without you, I, I can't live. Without you, I have no hope. Without you, I have no life. Without you, I have no joy. Right? Gratitude implies dependence. So we're saved because of the gospel, because of Jesus. That's our foundation. We're grounded in the gospel, which is Jesus. We're built up we progress in becoming like Him as we grow in our understanding of the gospel. As we grow in our inside knowledge of the gospel, we are strengthened. Right? These are just characteristics of a growing Christian. We should live being continually grateful because of the gospel and it's affecting our lives. Right? So you got this picture of this believer who has a life built on the foundation of Jesus and the gospel, but it's being built up strengthened in the faith with a grateful heart. This believer grows, but he only, that only occurs if we walk observantly if we're careful not to be led away from the truth of the gospel. And that's our second point. Walk observantly. Deceptive people will try to persuade you to abandon the gospel. Look at verse 8. Paul warns the Colossians not to be taken captive. Don't be deceived. Right? You're warning somebody of upcoming danger. 
my children when they were young. We didn't let them stand in chairs. Why? Because it's hazardous to their noggins, right? You stand in a chair, you're likely to fall, right? Don't do that. It's dangerous. Well, we're, we're warned here. Paul says, don't be deceived. And Jesus did the same thing. Turn your Bibles real quick to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus had some words about false teachers. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Look at 2 Peter. Flip back. 2 Peter. Look at the description of those who deceive people. 2 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Pay attention to how these deceivers are described. Second Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring, and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Jude, turn back towards the, the last Jude revelation, towards the last book of the Bible. Jude, verse 4. We're, we're listening, thinking about descriptions of these deceivers. Verse 4 For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Lastly, flip back to the left, 2 John, verse 7. Just flip back a few pages to the left. 2 John 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. And Paul, in almost every letter that he writes, every epistle, he warns of deceivers, people who are false teachers, who say that faith in Jesus isn't enough. And see, they wanted to take the Colossian Christians captive. Verse 4 they already mentioned that they're deceptive. Verse 8 tells us that through they're, they're deceptive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, philosophy isn't necessarily a bad thing. You hear about philosophy, ooh, that's Plato, Aristotle. Philosophy actually means the love of wisdom. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. And Paul was probably considered a philosopher, especially those that heard him in Athens. But this sense could be translated philosophy, which is characterized by empty deception. See, these false teachers, they had no biblical basis for their philosophy. In fact, the basis of their philosophy came from human tradition, what it says. The tradition of men. Now, we don't need good traditions. You have those in your family. I know our family, we have traditions in our family. They're good traditions. There's certain things we do at Easter. There's certain things we do at Christmas. There's certain things we do in our home. They're traditions. They're good. And we've been influenced rightly by them. 
we gather here today on Sunday and we sing hymns and worship songs. Why? That tradition has been passed out from generation to generation, right? We're all affected by these things. But these teachings had no biblical basis. These false teachers. So they're, they're human traditions, traditions of men. Um, this week I was talking to a man and uh, he asked me why I went to China. And I told him, well, we went to China because the area of China we went to, there were people that's never heard the gospel. And I said, you know what the Bible says? That people are sinners. They're all separated from God. So they're, they're all in enmity with God. And so when they die, God has, because he just has to punish them. And we call that hell, right? And so, so we went there to share the gospel people that they were the gospel. They'll have hope. They'll have an opportunity to repent and believe. He says, I don't know about that. I said, well, you know about it. He says, I don't know. I think if people never heard the gospel, I think they don't, they don't go to hell. I said, well, who said that? Like, well, this is what I've always believed. That's what I've always heard. So he's basing that on what? There's no biblical basis for that. In fact, that's not true, right? He has no biblical basis. It's just human tradition, right? Yeah. He also said that these teachers' philosophy was hollow and deceiving because they're based on human experience. See, they, they thought their experience, these, these teachers were saying, you need to have faith in Jesus, but you need to have these experiences also. So they saw their, their experience as authoritative. It's passed from one person to one person to one person to one person. We have these experiences, so that's authoritative. The authority is in its popularity, or maybe in it just being something that's been passed on for a long time. Oh, you know, this is what you've always thought. But it's not in Scripture. Think about some of the traditions of men that are seen as authoritative but not necessarily biblical. Traditions are good, but they can be harmful as well. Notice also here that the philosophy of the false teachers is empty, or some of your translations may say hollow, because it's according to the elementary principles of this world. I, I had a friend in seminary. He loved to share the gospel. He would go to the University of Louisville campus. And he would go, and he would just go on Saturdays to share the gospel. And so we talked about that. He said, you know, I need to go up and try to strive a conversation and talk about uh, what the Bible teaches and just try to share the gospel. He said, well, what I, I, he changed his technique. He said, what I do is I just go up to people and ask them what they think about spiritual things. And he said, you know what? 100% of the people will talk to me. Before, I was trying to ask them if I could tell them about Jesus, ask them if they want to talk about the Bible or something. Uh, they would. But if I ask them about spiritual things, they say, tell me what you think about God. He said, 100 of the people will stop and they'll find the time to talk to me because everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion about, about the Lord. Now, more times than not, their ideas are, are worldly. They're not biblical. But everybody's got an opinion. So maybe there's something to think about. Even today. Also, ask, ask them what they think. You don't talk to them, right? Another co-worker of mine, he was... Uh, non-believer, he was taking a philosophy class. And I would share the gospel with him, I would share the gospel with him several times, and he would often share with me what he was learning in his class. But it seemed the more he studied, the more questions he had. He never really came to any conclusions, he just had more questions. And I would just say, well, you got all these questions, the questions, but I, I, I've got some answers, and not from me, they're from the Bible, right? 
But he's just empty, empty philosophy. It's hollow because it's worldly. It's not biblical. It has no basis. Everybody has opinion. Think about talk radio. A lot of you listen to talk radio, right? It's popular because everybody has an opinion, right? And a lot of times, the human philosophy that you hear, it sounds good, it's attractive, it seduces our minds sometimes, and sometimes it even seems rational, but it has no spiritual value at all. Why? Look at verse 8. It's, it's, it's worldly, it's human, right? Have you ever, uh, I know people don't get newspapers as much anymore, but a lot of you read them online now. But have you ever read the editorial in a, in a newspaper? You ought to do that sometimes. It's quite, sometimes it can be hysterical. Actually, just the thinking of people, right? Look at verse 16. We're going to skip verse 16 for 9 through 15. We'll, we'll come back and talk to you, talk about it next week. Look at verse 16. It tells us what they were teaching. There was an instance of rule keeping. Look at verse, uh, verse 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you about what you eat or drink, or with regard to the religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that are to come. What does it mean to be a shadow? It means it's a minor thing. It's not a major. And that's what happens with false people who have false teaching. They're false teachers. They major on minors. Things that aren't important, they make really important. Here they do with these false teachers wanting them to keep these certain days and keep these certain festivals. They're, they're major on things that aren't important. Well, look at verse 18 and 19. Emphasis is on the experience. Do not let anyone delight in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head. He goes into great detail about what he has seen, his experience. But these people are not, they want to be spiritual, but they're not. They say, well, why have these experiences? What does that lead to? Pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. This type of person is emphasizing what they do. But the result, as we read in verse 19, is they, they've lost connection with the head, who's Jesus. Because the focus is on them and not on him. Okay? Verse 20, 20 through 23, real quickly, tells us that the false teachers also emphasizing ascetic practices. Verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Tell us. Verse 23, they like any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So there is this focus on what they do or what they don't do. Let me let me tell you this. If someone uh, if you tell somebody about Jesus and they immediately begin to tell you what they've done, hey, you know, but I do this, but I don't do that. Watch out. That's, that's a pretty good sign that they've lost connection with the head, which is Jesus, right? Because what is the focus on? Focus is on what, they, what they're doing, right? Focus on themselves, right? So Paul, he tells the Colossians to continue the same attitude they, they had when they received Christ as Lord. They were rooted in the gospel, that's their foundation. They would grow and be built up and be strengthened. They would have a grateful heart. This would all occur if they're watchful, careful, not letting anyone deceive them, lead them astray from the foundation truth of the gospel. Let me ask you a question as we close. Do you have the same attitude 
the same perspective as when you first believed? When you first believed, when you repented, did you go around and tell people how good you were and what all you've been doing? You didn't, did you? When you first believed, there was a, there was a humility, right? A dependence on the Lord. And Paul would say to Paul's believers, that should continue to be our attitude. If that's our attitude, place our faith solely on Jesus, not on what we do, not on what we don't do, not on our experience, just solely on Jesus, what will happen is we'll grow. Are you growing? Believer, are you growing in the faith? When you say, I'm being I'm in strengthened in the faith, do you have a thankful heart? He tells us, Paul tells these philosophy believers, and he tells us, don't be deceived. People are going to try to lead you astray. And that, that's true. That's true. Most people don't, they don't really care that you follow the Lord. In fact, they'll encourage and discourage you for following the Lord. But as Paul told these believers, don't, don't let anybody deceive you. Hold on to the foundational truth of the gospel. And what is that? Jesus Christ became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died our death. He died in our place. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to be punished. He was separated from the Father so we wouldn't have to be. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. We repent and trust that Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. He did rise from the dead on the third day. We'll be forgiven. Our relationship will be restored. We'll be given eternal life. Have you ever repented of your sins? When I talk about this, keeping the same attitude that we had when we first believed, we first repented. Well, you may have never repented before. Today's a good day to repent. Repent and trust Jesus and be reconciled to God. Believer, are you growing in the Lord? If you have the same attitude that you had when you first repented, that attitude towards Christ, you'll grow, you'll be strengthened, you'll have a grateful heart. Let's, let's have a time of prayer. We'll just have a, a time of self-examination. Just sit before the Lord, just for a moment. We're about finished. If you've never repented, I encourage you to do so. Cry to the Lord in humility. Tell the Lord you need Him. Tell the Lord that you're a sinner and you've rebelled against Him for all your days. But you want to be reconciled to Holy God. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and clean you of all unrighteousness, which means your relationship with God can be restored, you can be given eternal life. Repent today. He loves you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him intimately. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to have the hope of eternal life. Believer, what about you? Are you holding on to the gospel? What's your attitude towards Christ? Is it the same as you first believed, you first repented? Are you humble? Are you dependent? Do you have a thankful heart? Say, I'm not growing. I'm not growing in the Lord. Well, repent. 
I don't have a thankful heart. I have a bitter heart. I have a selfish heart. Focuses on me. Won't repent. That's what believers do. We live a life of repentance. Continually repenting. As the Lord brings sin to our attention, we repent, turn from it, trust Him to help us and walk on. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.